Today's guest, Marie Toby. Think about it as a product. So do your discovery, do interviews, define the value proposition that you want to offer, and then each launch it, take the risk, and then iterate, and then get feedback from your community members or upcoming community members. And the phase that we're in right now is really to get community members to build it with us. Okay, today we have a different format where Marie is still here and introduces herself. Right. So I am Marie Toby. I am director of community at Oyster, a fully distributed company. And I translated into this community building role after about 10 plus years uh, as a people leader and professional. And I'm very glad to be here today. Yes, and we talked about her US trip, emotions at work. How to grow a company from 120 to 650 employees, performance management, her career learnings, how to build culture, um, remote versus hybrid, and community building. So tune into the episode and have fun. Then you can build trust and then you can spend less time communicating and more time just getting shit done. Then I went home and, and thought about this sentence. We basically put it on the table. Hiring takes time. People are trained. How to objectively judge certain situations. It's very, 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 very hard to change things. That was the learning. Entrepreneurs with empathy. On the people side. Hi, Marie. Hello, hello. How are you and how was your US trip? It was really an experience. I'm good. I'm good. I'm still probably in the jet lag mode, so <laughs> I hope I won't be yawning throughout, throughout the time we speak. But um, I went there for an entire week. It was my first time in the US, my first time in Las Vegas. So everything was new and exciting uh, from the car plates and how colorful they are to the size of your Starbucks cups that are twice as big as a head. Um, and I was also there with the Oyster team. So we traveled there for the the transform conference which is a big this big hr conference that a lot of people are going to also from europe i know a couple of people that may listening that were that were planning to go it was really cool to meet there in person and we were there with the oyster team and i was there to represent the people builders community that i'm building with oyster and it was very cool what is oyster about oyster is i would say i would call it a an employee Employer of Records Plus Plus, it's an, almost an employee experience platform. So they enable you to hire any talents around the world uh, and take care of all the admin compliance burden so that you can simply hire wherever you may not have uh, operational units yourself. That's what OISA does. Yeah, post-COVID, a big trend. Exactly. OISA was created, I think, two months before COVID really like officially kickstarted around the world. And yeah, obviously... It was just right in time. Yes. And how, how is it to work or are you remote? Yeah. Yeah. Oyster is a, a team of about 600 people distributed in 70 countries around the world. So fully distributed. There is no office. People keep wondering, really, is there no office? No, there is no office. Where are people registered? <laughs> Where are the co-founders? Um, but no, like it's a, uh, we, we, yeah, really like no offices. Everyone works from home. And I was really myself curious about how would that be to be day to day in my bedroom with my desk all set up, but uh, really like 100% remotely. And the, I mean, like when I got to know them a bit more than seven months ago or eight or nine uh, with the time of the interviewing, but um, they had a really like good reputation about the culture that they built internally and how they really designed this full remote experience for the employees and I was I really wanted to know I wanted to know how that how does that work because most of the companies I know and that I've been in were hybrid I was like is that really working can you really build a culture remotely that is as strong and yeah kind of like meaningful as where what you could try to achieve in another company and I think they honestly did a, an amazing job like the the first couple of weeks and months were stunning for and me what stood out for you in interviewing in the interviewing, I mean, it was interesting because, well, first they gave me a chance to kind of switch gears professionally and kind of like take on all my baggage in as a people professional and people leader 
and transfer that into community building, which was a space that I wanted to explore professionally. So there was that opportunity. But also what stood out was really um, really talking with them about all these newer trends and innovative pathways that they took in the way they really built the company, what they wanted to achieve, their company mission, which is really about, yeah, kind of like helping talent thrive everywhere in the world. So really like giving a chance to anyone, whether you're in Nigeria or Colombia or San Francisco, to have these jobs that are awesome jobs. And that really appealed to me, uh, this really like take on diversity of talents and inclusion and being able to do that through a platform um, that is really a SaaS service uh, that is also, yeah, of course, like super modern and what, what works business-wise. That's interesting because today I had lunch with a McKinsey partner mm -hmm. and Julian, shout out to Julian, he will also be a guest on the show. And he told me that since COVID, also within McKinsey, the whole people and org function and consulting area mm -hmm. got way more relevant and interesting to clients, but also to consultants internally, because otherwise everybody wanted to do strategy or corporate finance and so yeah. on. And I can also see that since the pandemic, it got way more complex. And if you do it right, it's a big asset yeah. when you design an organization in the right way. And I also really liked working together with you at TaxFix. I'm very mad, actually, mm -hmm. because you always had a very strategic mind on how to design the people function. Well, interestingly enough, thank you first. But actually, the origin of how I started to think about people as a product, which drove me to think more about design thinking and how to think about this experience really as a funnel and the memorable moments you want to create along the way actually came from me following Oyster's chief people officer, Mark Frain, years ago as he was at Envision and actually really developed this concept of people as a product. And so it, it's almost, you know, like starting from just like inspiration that I got from this person and then trying it out myself at, at, at TaxFix and say, okay, how, how can I do that? Um, and then from there, getting inspired, I think, from other functions as well, like what is indeed design doing or behavioral sciences or even marketing? How are they, you know, like approaching the customers or the data dashboard? How does that look like? How, we can, how can we develop that for a people function? I think that's just this inspirations that really... I know it's it bringing, I guess, strategy and creativity together. And I, it's true. I do agree that nowadays people teams and people professionals really need to think in this new way. Like if you get stuck with what has been done, even maybe three years ago, I think you're not going to be able to really help your employees thrive because at the end of the day, it's what you want to achieve, really. Um, the world is changing too fast. I think you need to stay really on your feet, be creative, try things out, experiment, and keep this feedback loop with your employees. Um, and I think it's what you do with customers when you develop a product. Like we look at all the angles and try to really have, yeah, this feedback round that enables you to develop something almost like, I wouldn't say in the moment, but I think we have to be super agile meanwhile. Yeah. Yes. And this is also what I saw when, when we met that you really ran the people function in a very, customer-orientated way, mm -hmm. that it was just not a framework or a process and everybody needs to stick to that. Yeah. And then everybody's annoyed and managers don't trust you anymore or don't see you as a lever. Yeah. It was more the opposite, that they really liked to get the tools and get enabled. Yeah. What, uh, what are the biggest challenges of companies or maybe also mistakes you see when they are doing HR too traditional? Hmm. I mean, to an extent, you know, like there is a part of it, which is, I mean, it's, it's honestly tough, you know, like to, if you try to be, I would call it this close feedback loop with your employees. Like there is like what your employees tell you what they wish and what they actually need you. And there is also the business constraints or needs. So trying to match all of this and kind of, kind of like get this whether qualitative or quantitative data plus a gut instinct feel sometimes as well um it's not easy i think this is really like complex layers to kind of pull apart um i think that is complex 
And then the second one is as well, honestly, people teams are so under-resourced sometimes. This is not the team where you will have the most capacity or the best tools, or, but you have this constant need of building and creating. And how do you do that if you don't help yourself with maybe what you have done elsewhere? A part of, I would call it copy-pasting. I think like I get really bored of copy-pasting. I want to put my touch on it. And But when you need to get like a big machinery running which is whether your people departments or when your teams start to scale and the company just need this this operating model then you may not find the time if it's also not already in your operating modes in your people department to kind of say okay let's experiment let's try it i think it feels risky and you you you, you might not be sure about of the roi that you can also create so i think there is just this shortcut that is more about taking what you know already and trying to make it run the best way possible this way so i think these are kind of like the challenges that are into the, the people team's bags um generally speaking um and then i mean that often comes but a people team doesn't function on its own right so if you don't have whether an executive team or a founder that is also encouraging you to take those different avenues so to say and have known maybe a more corporate or traditional model when it comes to I don't know like your performance management programs or um, your compensation structures and your philosophies then it can be really hard to just like put a foot in like just in front of the door and say okay like let's do things differently where do you find your allies where like how do you have these discussions and also to add to that the range of topics that people teams have to tackle, which are quite emotional, complicated to manage because they are very humanly loaded, I think makes it quite hard. Like which one is the bet that you want to do? You know, like maybe I would say pick your choice, but generally speaking, you have to be on so many fronts that sometimes, yeah, like you take shortcuts and you try the best you can with what you know already. Emotions. Let's go into that. What are some emotional topics? Emotional In topics? Work. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> probably many, but the first one that comes to mind also, because I know that's on a lot of like people teams or people leaders, um, yeah, kind of priority list at the moment is everything related to compensation. So I think they're really like finding a framework that is fair, equitable, um, and being able to explain your approach while, which has to be. I guess, collectively structured for an entire organization, your seniority levels, um, your different populations within the organization, tie that to your growth strategy or say your growth development programs and so on. Um, taking into account people's understanding or lack of understanding of the complexity of this topic, the macroeconomical context of inflation, yeah, and it also changes currency changes, etc., I think it's really hard. I mean, like I've always felt being on eggshells with this compensation topic because you try your best. You try to, you know, build structure in there, like pay people fairly. But what actually paying someone fairly means might be very different things from one person to another. So you try to create this harmonious perspective that you share, obviously, with the employees and with more or less transparency. But I think compensation especially now because everyone is looking at what they have in the bank um trying to yeah come to the end of the month feeling good like yeah monetary wise is is really hard in case you like my show please subscribe i would really appreciate it if you would drop a name when you think of compensation mm -hmm. who would it be a name of, of a person do you associate somebody uh with Com compensation um I mean, I might be like, actually, I just met um, the head of total rewards of Shopify at Transform, who is called, her name is Asha, who described to me, they actually won an award and described to me some very cool approaches to how they transform, I would say, more traditional benefits approaches into cash pools for their employees um, in a way to almost like be flat on the equation, but somehow bump up um, the perceived values of their total rewards package to the employees. And they also they also had a lot of other things. I mean, that's quite a large company. I think they're about 6,000 6, people. But I, I just feel like actually sometimes when you have this large amount of people, you, you don't go necessarily sideways. You keep on the traditional track. And they had very innovative ideas where I thought, okay, you know, like, 
you ditch the old ways, you try to find new things to try out and it seems to be working. And in this current context where, yeah, like inflation is rising, people are wondering like, what about my salary? And um, I think it's, it's, it's inspiring. So that's probably her name that I would, pull, I would pull up here. Yes. I have another name. It's also the person who recommended to interview you. Oh, yeah. Amiel. Amiel. Amiel, do you listen? So <laughs> shout out to Amiel again. <laughs> um, because it was really funny. When he interviewed with you yeah. at DuxFix back yeah. then, I also had a client, I will not share whom, where we hired a, a reward function. And then I needed to counter offer Amiel on you. And we also lost him to another company. <laughs> so there were three offers out there at uh, that, that time. That was a tough one. That was a tough one. That was such an important role. I, I really wanted to have an expert in composition, probably because I was feeling so out of my depth at some point. We kept growing as a company. I was like, I need someone who comes in and just first have fun really doing it. Know it's... Mm. And, and yeah, I mean, it was, uh, like, it was fab to, to talk to, but um, yeah, well, not this time, maybe next. But also kudos to you in interviewing, because if he still remembers you just from interviewing to recommend you as a guest, yeah, I was it's outstanding. <laughs> I was wondering, I was like, why, why did I, did I come up to his mind? Because we had, yeah, I think probably like two conversations and a couple of email back and forth trying to negotiate that he could join and that didn't work out. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, big, big hi, big up to Amiel. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And, um, maybe let's talk about a bit about tax fix when, where we met. So mm -hmm. I think. There were quite some challenges ahead to really build after I think the series D of 220 million, mm -hmm. right? To build out the people function more. Um, you were also there before the 220 million. And I think they brought me in for the 202 million, uh, 220 million, then deploying money into hiring and so on. Um, so I stayed there for one year as interim manager and you were there before. How was the transition for you over time at TaxFix and what were maybe the, the growth stages if you just zoom out? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, because indeed like um, to listeners, maybe I would say if I take the sizing of the company, you know, as TaxFix kept growing, I joined, I think the company was about 120 employees uh, just after Series B. And, and then we grew in about two years and a half to, what was that? 650 employees and maybe a, a bit more when you left. Um, so I think if I look at really the, the phases, but it's, I mean, I'm trying to think like what would be my like criteria of evaluation. But um, I think definitely this early phase until 250 employees was actually the time where I had to set up like the entire foundation of the people function. Um, and in a sense, that was very cool because all these philosophies and approaches and ways that you want to set really the people foundations was completely up to me together with the the founders and the leadership team that was also getting hired slowly but surely and I think that was really fun I think if I think about the innovative moments of tax fix for me there was a moment where I was like I, I'll give it a shot you know like with certain approaches that were probably a bit different that didn't ever, didn't see in other parts um, or in other companies so and I think after 250 up to probably 500 plus in that range. That's much more about really continuing iterating, harnessing those frameworks that were also getting more complex because the What are some frameworks you built? Uh, so surely like everything related to what compensation we talked about it, but also performance management. Um, I would attach that anything related to career progression and feedback. Um, there were definitely like big, big chunks of work that were um, they're really important. And then um, anything related to engagement. So serving, uh, I'll call it employee listening. So serving and the tooling that you need for this. Um, that was, uh, yeah, also a big, a big part. And I would say the, the related like chunk of all these topics were upskilling and working with your managers because our pool of managers kept growing and growing. And so being able to, like, I, I was a standalone person for quite some time until this, the team mm. started to build up. So really how to... And that's also outstanding for me that you are still able, or not still, but that you were able to get the things on the ground mm -hmm. as an operational person that is doing the stuff and designing the stuff. And in parallel, 
yeah. zooming out and having this strategic mind and thinking always a step ahead. And I really especially like the whole performance management, mm -hmm. how you build that. Yeah. Can you can you talk about how you designed that and what was the yeah, thinking process? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I would just to call out like what you mentioned in terms of being able to zoom out, but still being in the doing, I think... You know, if I if I can almost like share that, like my way of doing it, maybe also my way of working is that I truly love just building with others. I don't like doing it alone. And for me, my other builders were really people managers. Generally, like the the mindsets of people managers at TaxFix was super positive. They were really caring, really willing to do good, to be good people leaders. And so being able to be supported by, by this pool of people who are just cascading, obviously, all the frameworks that I was trying to develop with them, I think was a huge help. And if I think about Corona times, for instance, like I could not have you know, like manage Corona on my own. I was the one ringing the alarms and setting the tone for topics that we needed to manage super quickly. But how every manager and leader stepped in to be there for the team and, you know, follow along this, this new directive that we were having was honestly remarkable. So I think like being able to build with this manager's community when you're a single shot, like operational slash strategic people leader is quite crucial. Now to come back to your question about the performance management framework, um, where, so I think it changed, uh, in the meantime, but the, from previous experiences, having worked with Funding Circle back then, having worked at Danone, um, I was always extremely fun on really not taking performance management as this kind of, um, I would say controlling tool and assessment tool only, but really about growth and progression and all about development focus, um, and, and so I, th and I think what was very cool was that the TaxFix co-founders were very eager themselves, like from a personal standpoint, they really like love the idea of continuous learning and developing people. And so I think I had almost like philosophically a lot of buy-in from the beginning. They are also really bought into the culture, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, they, you know, like they're a big part in creating it for sure. So I think I had a really fertile ground to then develop a performance management model, so to say, which was very feedback heavy with like 360 peer reviews, um, with very regular cadencing. So we had, uh, if I'm not mistaken, we had almost like four touch points um, within a year. And two of them were, I would say, past performance related. And two others were lighter check-ins where we were also really zooming on career development, um, competencies like assessments and um, we onboarded as well, like Ansborn Learning and Devon Partner really early on, actually, who was able to really like make it even more robust. Um, and I got a lot of inspiration from Culture Amp. I wanted to work with this tool. I had worked with it with the, in the past. And what I particularly liked was it's, it's not only a tool that is UX friendly and easy to manage and, but there's a lot of science and really strong knowledge of yeah, how to build, I would say, a high-performing team through this lens of continuous progression and feedback and and kind of career development. And um, and yeah, like I just surrounding myself with the right tool, the right people, the right mindsets, I think there's a lot that we were able to put in place. We iterated a lot. I mean, I think from one quarter to another because of those different check-ins. First, it didn't start in this exact format. Um, we got managers' feedback telling us that's too much, the structure is not easy. I was really like grasping any type of feedback. We did also like formal surveying of from an employee perspective, from a manager's perspective, how did that go? What were the results? Um, so it was kind of like continuous like change of how, how the program looked like really. So I think there also you operated more than a product development org because you also pulled together several experts all the time from different fields to, to set that up and not just operating as an HR That's person, true. Right? That's true. Yeah. So this is also what I think it's really interesting to say. If you want to set up an organization for success, mm -hmm. you first need to really understand what is happening within the organization and how do people, um, especially also managers, but also individual contributors, everyone, perceiving certain processes, tools, yeah. the company itself, and creating an overview first to understand what's happening. Yeah. 
and then finding patterns and also matching it with what's the strategy where do we want to to be as an organization yeah. where we are now as an organization and then build out this roadmap but not very waterfall and we now need to do that and this and that mm. being open and iterate in, in in smaller circles of course a performance review you cannot iterate on a weekly basis yeah? you you need no, to first not. go through a cycle and then you learn from it and then again you go for a cycle and oh, every cycle you can iterate and get better yeah and um with with all the limited resources how did you get this done because in the beginning there was not a big team no there was no big team um i i mean I'm not saying it was necessarily easy, but I think I think it really all starts with the mindset. Like if because for instance you were saying like this iterative part of almost like asking for feedback and almost I would say basing your work and the evolutions of whatever you're trying to develop as a project on this feedback. You know, it's for me it's become almost like a habit where if I if I don't have it, you know, like I don't, I don't like, I'm, I don't know exactly what next gear to enter. It's like, it's so, you know, like serving was also for me a way to do better, like, you know, like a, with agility, kind of like direct the next steps of evolution. Cause I knew the company was continued to scale. We're not stand still and stop things. No, like it's not, I don't know. It's not good enough. Um, and I think if you don't, you know, if serving is too much because you know, like you need to put the effort, I think finding the people who have critical but constructive opinions, and that might be just two managers out of 30 that are, you know, willing, that are just passionate about this topic as well and care, you know, about the team, they have an experience to share, be able to find these people that can almost like coagulate around you um, so that you don't feel necessarily alone. I feel I had a lot of amplifiers. Um, so I was not in a, you know, I was not solo. Of course, the operational part, yes, is on you. But I think eventually, I don't know, it never felt to me as it was, I think a lot of people, people actually doers, you know, like they don't, they don't shy away from doing the work and getting, getting cracking with things. But I think actually taking this couple of steps back to say, okay, like what direction do I want to give it? You know, should I just stop or do smaller, get feedback, move to the next stage? I think it's eventually you do better work. Uh, that's, that's, that's for sure. How would you, what tips would you give to people who never built a performance management system to start? I would say probably act as a product manager, really do your discovery, do your research, do a couple of interviews, um, find some theoretical pillars that are inspiring or yeah, attracting to you. Then do a big pause, talk to your leadership team and really like get their views like about what they know, what they disagree on. If you have already like a start of a proposal uh, or an MVP kind of thing, like share that with them and then like finalize the solution with them because they are going to be your amplifiers. They have to, you know, make it happen with their teams and probably for the long run also like educate any of their team leads and so on to develop the framework further. So I would say do that and then take the risk of just launching it really and see what, what works, what sticks, what doesn't. And I would say uh, probably in my earlier professional days, you know, I wanted to get this kind of per first, like perfect thing, first, first thing. Meanwhile, I'm thinking. Just get it out. Get it out and really think in terms of MVP. And you can also tell that to people. Exactly. You know? Set the expectations. Completely. That it won't be perfect, but I need you to be honest with me exactly. and tell me what you think. Yeah. And, and I think this is, if you really mean it, you know, like, and if you keep in this mindset, wanting to do better, taking people inputs. I mean, this is work, you know, this is collaborating at work and just like, Yeah getting something good out there together i think people topics and sometimes it can be frustrating but there's also a really cool thing about it is that people topics are everyone's topic mm. so sometimes it's really tough because you have everyone bombarding with opinions and you know something they think they know you're like 
I might know a little bit better than you do and I may be able to give you advice. But sometimes it's also cool because you share the responsibility eventually with so many people in your company. Uh, and I think it's important to say that out loud sometimes as well. Like, you know, like I'm facilitating, I'm putting like a framework on the ground for people to run on it, but we're all a part of it. And I know that a taxi is something that I, that was one of the really the pillars that I shared with everyone doing onboarding. I'm, you know, like the people experience that I'm creating is is not for you it's with you and i really made a point in saying that like your feedback is crucial it's important it's valuable and if you want to get your hands dirty you're more than welcome like it's um it's a shared responsibility really can you share one story or one learning of a situation where you learned something from a manager and a manager feedback mm. uh for sure I'm trying to pick probably the best one. Um, doesn't have to be perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, something that can be a, um, really of interest. Um, I don't know if that's been coming from a manager in particular, actually. Doesn't have to. Yeah. Let me think, let me think. Because I think that's also super interesting for listeners mm. and also for me to just always hear some examples because then you really also you remember that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I think probably not. I'm thinking of it. Um, probably for me, the biggest step, um, I would say from, um, I mean, I'm still developing, but I would say like a developing kind of like level, uh, people professional to a more mature professional was talking to back in another fintech company that I used to work at with the country manager back then, uh, who was a woman and who was not very close to my work, but I interacted with her and talked about the team. I was an HR business partner back then. Um, at some point she was telling me, she, she really told me like, you know, Marie, like you're everywhere, but at the same time, you're nowhere. And you know, like when you're working at all, I was working like 10 hours a day or something. It really hurts um in the moment but I think what she really wanted to tell me is basically learn to maybe do less but do exactly what you want to do so that you're able to showcase results and through Focus. this impact um have you know like actually help yourself because you'll be able to you know people you get better buy-in because people see tangible tangibly what you can do and I think as a people professional especially as a business partner where you can just be you know like bombarded with requests on a on a kind of rolling basis um having this couple of things where you can really prove where all your efforts went um also for yourself i think it also helps you to just acknowledge and celebrate your successes instead of like just keeping this hamster wheel and feeling good about it generally but just wondering sometimes when do i celebrate actually i think people do is sometimes that something we really miss um and so yeah i think this idea of like focusing being very clear on what you want to change what you want to impact you know she was telling me for instance i remember back then i had i was responsible of two locations and the range of functions really like in those two locations and it was me like zooming on one team and i was like but i cannot let the other teams drop you know like everyone needs me the managers they come to me and you know i can provide advice and it's like okay but it might just be temporary do that a month and just see the the change you can make in one team and let them roll but it was so hard for me like really at this point in time I was like oh, how can I do that <laughs> over time I did that what also really helped me was when I started to be to become more and more accountable for data-driven results um, really this idea of like you know if you keep coaching managers on a day-to-day basis that's great they probably benefit from it but where are you going to show that like where in the data is it showing so, you know, like, is it about your manager scores and your engagement survey or, and if you, I mean, originally I thought, oh my God, this is a bit selfish, you know, like I'm here to help people. And, but at some point, you know, I think if you are not able to prove at scale what you or your team is, are doing, then I think you're really missing something. Um, and I think this is probably this part of becoming more and more strategic in the approach of saying, you know, like at larger scale on the longer term. Um, where can I show the impact that me and my team are making? And so where are my data? Even if they are really simple ones, but just be, if, they can also be qualitative insights, but where, where can I really, yeah, kind of show that. So I think it's probably, it's been a journey from this kind of first feedback that was really tough. And in the moment I really had difficulties to understand. 
I was like, oh, I'm not too sure how I'm going to get there. It took me probably a good year to really understand what she meant by that. Because back then I was like, hey, you know, but that's the, she's not in the HR function. She doesn't completely understand mm. like the scope of my role and how that works. And, but um, yeah, I think it was a huge learning. And now I'm the one asking my team, you know, like when they're running around, I was like, okay, where's the data? What do you want to impact exactly? What is your KPI for success? Um, because I think it really, I, I mean, like for me, I might have become more goal oriented over the years, but it's, they are really like, you know, little goals and flame in the dark and it, they really keep you, keep you running. Yes. And one learning, what I also want to add and share, um, in general, I think, but also especially for people functions, when you touch something that is touching the whole company infrastructure, like mm. a performance management, everybody's affected at some point. Yeah. The whole communication of not even rolling, when rolling it out, but before saying, okay, this is what we do in Q1. Mm -hmm. And maybe we are now even one quarter ahead. Nobody will think of it because it's too far away. Yeah. But then afterwards, if you don't communicate it and say, hey, in the next quarter, please organize your whole workload and consider that we have performance reviews. Yeah. It, you should take time and make also sure that you you have several channels of communication, personal check-ins as good as it's possible on the coffee chat um, or on, on the coffee corner doing coffee chats through asynchronous communication in slack or email in the all hands announcing that but also sharing the high level plan and also the details because everyone needs different granularity or also different formats of communication mm. and i think if you get that right and just then get before you get into the doing mode and that execution mode get the buy-in from the stakeholders the customers yeah then it's way easier to then adopt or also work with them and it against them or for them. Completely. And then also just by talking about the idea and the concepts, there are so many ideas or so many things that you can, that you would otherwise need to figure out and then just get started. Yeah. I also see it with the podcast. Instead of just doing the whole episode and everything and then publishing it, I sometimes just cut out cool pieces and publish it up front. People like it and they, they look forward then to mm. listening to the podcast. Yeah, that's very cool. That's I, I learned that from... Um, another area of my profession is the creator industry mm. where um, I, I helped a friend scaling his company. It was an agency and they built products for creators. Um, when we looked into, okay, how to build products and how to launch it to your audience. Mm -hmm. And we always used a pre-launch formula or a launch formula um, that you first, before you have the product ready, mm -hmm. you talk about it and see how you need to adapt it that it's then really sticking with the audience. It's really cool. That's nice. That's really I love the, the marketing aspect of it. Because I have to agree, like any other parts, if I, you know, like uh, bring it to most like any people projects, it's like it, it's in your project planning, basically, you know, like this this communication, like before official launch or your launch plan or even the after, you know, like because very likely we'll launch, we have to, we start to have people complaining having a concern or um it's great and to really integrate them it, right? yeah when there are some complaints or some ideas how do you organize that that you then not yeah. ad hoc when you have stress need to think about it yeah and i think that's what i really also liked working with you that you had this zoom out ability and always thought a bit further mm. than just doing stuff yeah how is the difference now between an environment like taxfix where it was also a bit office heavy not mm -hmm. not office only but hybrid with a cool office with a cool experience versus now working remotely yeah um different for sure um i think there are probably like two layers i mean one is you know rather like my personal experience you know like being day-to-day -day, um in my room and you know chatting with colleagues and you know like working on a distance for months now um, and then there is a part about really like, what does that do to an organization? If I speak about that personal experience, I have to say like, there is actually so many learnings of being entirely remote about how to optimize my work, how to communicate differently, how to use different tools, whether they are like videos or 
I would say fun documentation <laughs> types of tools because some oftentimes we see we think about a sync and we're like, oh yeah, I need to write paragraphs <laughs> in whatever tool is gonna be so boring. But actually there is so many ways. First it helps you think, plan pre-thing mm. like really getting to the point so actually you you really optimize the amount of communication it's that more you have effort to do. isn't it yeah but i mean get more efficient i think it's a different type of effort honestly uh because eventually i think you're also more efficient if you think about buy-in for instance instead of having i don't know like 10 informal chats with people and then having one meeting that you need to you know follow up on and then have another meeting to kind of repeat more or less the same thing and actually if you build it up differently asynchronously I think they're almost like a more controllable way to have the impact that you want in your communication. So there are really some interesting parts there. Um, the Probably the other element that I'm still, I would say, um, experimenting with or testing out is really this idea of building trust with, you know, like your colleagues or maybe I would say even more distant colleagues, like where actually it feels, maybe it's also because I changed like roles in the organization, but Previously, I had the feeling I had almost like this 360 view on the entire company and, you know, like could really like have direct relationship with a lot of people across teams. I feel that now and I feel it's also maybe the feeling of remote. If you don't make this effort of going out to people and, you know, engaging with them in conversations that could be work related or not, you feel very quickly like stuck in a, in a small bubble in an actually really large company. So I think for me, it's still a little bit, almost this feeling of, okay, do I feel actually good or do I feel a little bit lonely? Or um, And how do I keep building these relationships? I mean, it's been, for instance, like if you would be in an office or you would, you know, like meet people just at the coffee machine, as we keep saying, um, you can start chatting with, I don't know, like a data analyst about what's happening in the data team and just get a new insights and yeah, like that, that keeps you going, so to say. But if you in a remote workplace, I mean, there are donut chats and different opportunities. I do them as well, but I've found that it is much more narrow. Um, and that means as well that building this trust takes longer for me. Um, I feel that sometimes just like seeing one person in per like in, in real life, just have a vibe, you have a feel, you're uh, you also don't focus exclusively on work. Usually there's more of this cheat chat that you can learn to do remotely as well. But I think the trust building aspect of relationships is harder to harness in this virtual remote world. Um, there are a lot of ways, but I, I've, my, I would say, first discovery insights so far is that it takes longer and requires a lot of intention. Um, now I would say, in all honesty, especially the, the the latest times at TaxFix where the office was not completely set and we were also like out of this corona phase. And I also found oftentimes that the office was quite empty. Mm -hmm. And so you come in with this expectation, oh, I'm going to meet it people. It also needed a lot of marketing to get people in again. In, it requires a lot of marketing. It requires a lot of experience design of the workplace, everything. Where are people going to gather? Where are they going to meet? And, and what are they going to do there? And just say, it's a policy you need to get in completely, days a week. Completely, completely. I think like flipping for i mean like this is something that i i still don't think is yet really in people teams or people leaders head in terms of like if you have a hybrid office your office strategy is so crucial uh mm. i mean first it costs a lot of money so you better optimize it but second really it has a huge part i mean hybrid is you know half of it so if you let if you imagine that the hybrid experience is going to be the same as when we're all every day in the office and just let it float and imagine that we'll you know, like work out well, I think first you're missing on a big opportunity to be more intentional and really see impacts in connections, innovations, trust building, creativity across your organization. Um, but second, you may also disappoint employees because they may have higher expectations now of what they want to experience in an office. If you come to the office, if you make the effort, then yeah, you may want to really not have an empty kitchen with no people to talk at the coffee machine. And I think that happened for me, at least in the hybrid setup, more often than I would have wished for. So at this point, I was like, well, maybe, you know what? Remote is actually the way to go because the, the in-office experience is not up to what I would want it to be. So, so yeah, I, I don't know what's going to be next. Full remote, hybrid, I think... Uh, the, the two are really passionate at the moment. There is so much 
pieces of the puzzle moving. Uh, I think it's it's really like it requires a lot of creativity and yeah, like there's there's like cool plans for the future on that front. And also, you have exciting times ahead with some some a new team member in your team in your personal team right? oh yeah in my personal team in my in my professional team as well i have a new team yeah. member in my community team yeah um mira who just joined as a community coordinator and it's been really cool working with two heads and four hands on on building the people in this community but yeah also personally i'm gonna become a mom in a couple of months That's and so exciting. yeah i have to say it's very interesting because having been You know, in a people team where you you you're there to support employees and especially you know like parents and um, and also especially during Corona, there is there is so much that you you think about about you know like childcare and the, the complexity of it and the burden it is for parents. But when you don't have this experience yourself, you can relate to only a certain points, um, even as the big empath that most of people professionals are. And so now I'm thinking, okay, yeah, kind of like I'm very curious, like how is it going to be? Um, to enter the, the working world back with a child. Yes, and I think you're also very ambitious, right? So I've, I, I guess you you will work or want to work again soon. Yeah, right? yeah, and for I sure. Think also with working then from home, it's it's even easier or maybe I not. think it is, there is definitely some, like, yeah, like it helps. I think uh, that's, that's also what actually people were telling me in the interview process at Oyster, but I think it is very true that parents are truly happy because... Yeah, like you have so much more flexibility to, you know, bring your kids to school, take care, you know, have a daycare, a couple of moments a week where you can focus on work, you can work at different times. If you don't have to be in an office, there is so much time that is freed up for, for childcare. I don't think that's ne that's necessarily easy, um, but I think it has a lot of advantages for family flexibility in general. Yeah. Yes. And do you already have a, a plan on what you still need to do or want to do until you go on to maternity leave uh yeah i mean i it's gonna be a little bit than a year in my in my role as director of community at oyster and we launched the people builders community dedicated to people leaders of hybrid and remote workplaces at the start of this year 2023 so until i go which is going to be about july time um, we definitely have a couple of ambitions there uh, to really bring just the community into a good place where it is solid, it is nurturing for its members. Um, we have already a track record of whether it's events or initiatives that are really meaningful to people and adding value. Um, so definitely there we have a couple of plans. Probably also while Oyster is a full remote company, I think we'll test out more and more of RL events. So really bringing our community members together in local hubs um, to connect uh, and not only in the virtual worlds. So yeah, there are quite a few. How do you on build a community in that space? How do we build a community? Well, it's been a cool, uh, yeah, experiment because I never did that before. I realized after a couple of weeks actually that... Mm, maybe I don't know if it was the way I work but I think in the people team you actually build somehow in a way an internal community in the way that you manage your workforce you engage with them you communicate with them um, but the way we did it and I also helped myself with a lot of community builders that were truly inspiring and willing to share in the community spirit really like their templates and whatever they had built uh, their experiences so that that's that's a large part of community building I feel there is no one path to build a community there's a lot of different types of communities um so strategically defining what you want to do but what i described just before was really like how i went about it think about it as a product so do your discovery do interviews define the value proposition that you want to offer and then each launch it take the risk and then iterate and then get feedback from new community members or upcoming community members And the phase that we're in right now is really to get community members to build it with us. So really like whether we probably will launch, have launched actually uh, later, uh, yesterday, yeah, yesterday, um, an, an ambassador program. So really community members that we have already that are really eager to contribute to the shaping of the community and who wants to make an impact on their peers and offer extra support to join us in a core group to really have this pool of feedback ideas that help us really 
fuel the community with the best that it can offer. So that is very exciting to me. It's, it's again, this amplifiers and this like, yeah, fellow community builders that, that I'll be able to, to have. And I think it's, it's really about eventually the, the community experience that you're creating. Um, and it's been super cool. It's been super, super experience so far. And do you also have a schedule of events, what you do with the community locally? Yeah. Because you're, you're operating globally, I guess? Yeah. To, as of now, we do everything virtually and therefore globally. But still, thinking globally and virtually still means that you need to think about time zones, about what is actually going to be accessible to people really globally, or is it actually European-centric, also in the topics that you're picking. So we... The first, yeah, like round of events, we do usually two events um, a, a, a month and they are like more like workshop style. So very interactive. We have usually a big mirror board. We bring an expert on board and we take one topic and kind of break it down and get into brainstorming modes so that people can really take insights. But also usually after that, we're able to have a concrete output. It might be a framework. It might be a strategic checklist, like, um, which I find really cool, uh, which is really this kind of like not only connecting and mingling and finding your peers, but also doing something together, be like builders, really. I think it's really exciting. And, and so, yeah, like we, we build up the event plan. I would say 70% is locked for a quarter based on topics that where we see feedback come from community members where they would like some help. Um, we do also kind of look, I look into other communities, say like what are along the lines of remote and hybrid work still challenging areas for people leaders so that we can bring them together and help them like unlock them. And then the, the 30% is whatever comes up. So it might be something that just, you know, happens like a big i don't know article newspaper and then you know like people is like oh my you know i need to rethink about my whatever like work from anywhere policy because there are new legal requirements in x amount of countries mm. and what do i do um and it might also be coming from an initiative of a community member who really would love to bring a few people together to help them crack this one particular challenge and we also leave the space for that in case you have any feedback or anything you want to share with me please Send me an email on thomas at peoplewise.com or hit me up on LinkedIn. And in case you really enjoy the show, please subscribe. I would really appreciate it. Also, what could be super interesting for us, PeopleWise, mm -hmm. and for you maybe, um, my co-founder Mina, shout out to Mina, she just um, did a white paper with one of um, the EORs. I think we also have a, a partnership with. Mm -hmm. And... They research trends where it's currently still very, I would say, capital efficient efficient to hire engineers from. Yeah. And this white paper, I don't know, it will be launched maybe this month or next month. Mm -hmm. I'm not so involved. But if you want, I can connect you. Sure. And then you can just chat um, because maybe also some events like what you organize or some some webinars or content um, yeah. maybe we can also collaborate on because we also have a european footprint and we also hired for companies that entering from japan into germany for instance yeah totally <laughs> and and in in several countries um, yeah. main focus from us is europe and we still are strongest in germany and also from for internationals going into germany yeah. germany or from for <laughs> germans And German companies that are going international, so that are actually actually the, the main customers. Cool. Um, so that could be also interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like uh, through Oyster, I think these insights we have not we share with I think our customers um, when they want to hire and indeed like think about the budget for hiring, for instance, and wondering like if I'm willing to operate not only in one or two countries but to go globally and hire remote then where are talent pools that I'm not tapping into mm -hmm. that really have fantastic talents? Um, also by function, it's always different. Exactly, completely, completely. And, and, and it's super interesting. I mean, this entire talent hiring part is very interesting because so how do you assess people when you don't know anything about the qualifications, the schools they've been at, or even where they have like very, I would say like diverse backgrounds? It's also harder to know, you know? Like I think it really comes down to all about you know, skill-based hiring and so on, but it, you really like bring it up a notch mm. because you may hire people that have fantastic potential, but don't have like, I would say this corporate experience. So you may need to help them get on board as well. But I think they're 
really cool opportunities uh, in that in that talent hiring space. And I see this as a big asset. And this is also the DNA of our company. We mm -hmm. started remote. Um, now we have locations in Vienna, then in Berlin, in London, and we have people now already in Portugal, Spain, and from Poland. So we have local recruiters who know the expertise, but always worked internationally. Yeah. So we can always switch to local expertise, but at an international industry standard. Yeah. And that was, I think, a very good move. And from the timing, we were lucky because we started people-wise post-COVID. Yeah. So it was already a bit more natural. But now it's a big asset. And you know what I would ask you, because once you start to think about this opportunity, a lot, where I see a lot of people leaders or, you know, like, or even business leaders just saying like, you know, this kind of like, oh, yes, but. And the but is of them, but how do you build culture? So I, know, I may just ask you, how is your, you know, company culture when you all spread across Europe? I think we have, so it's easy. We are still 10 people mm -hmm. um, in the core. And when you, count all temporary part-time freelancers who also have other deals but are i would say most of the time working mainly with us mm -hmm. and we're 20 and i would say that we have a common ground it starts with the two founders mina and me we are both on the same page on our values and on our fundamental beliefs and what we want to achieve mm -hmm. and i would say we have a very strong mindset for delivery result orientation mm -hmm. but in parallel not elbows out me against you and i do my way and i need to be better than somebody else not this competitiveness that is unhealthy more a competence a co competitiveness against the market to outperform um, and collaborate strongly mm -hmm. so i think that's something what we see working with each other, but also how we evaluate our people. And I always am very lucky that Mina is really doing hiring very well. And I sometimes when we hire somebody new, I just get a founder interview. And what I always look for is not the functional competency, nothing at, in, in that area. We, we are very good in evaluating this and mm -hmm. that's already done. I just look at the fundamental beliefs and motivations of the person. Why does this person want to work with us or... Do we still need to sell that person can also happen, right? But just the fundamental beliefs of what is an environment they enjoy working with, what not. Mm -hmm. And then also what are the attributes they are looking for their career in the next steps in our company. And then also challenging, okay, how can we provide the space and the journey for that? And of course, we cannot promise that you can develop in a certain way or that you develop in a certain way. It's yeah. always twofolded. But this is what I always try to understand and then build the teams and the organization um, in a way that everybody can strive and also everybody has a certain spike in a certain area. It can be on a certain function, that they are good in recruitment, that they have a certain style of being very good in data, for instance, or very structured. Some people may be very empathetic. Some people may be very delivery oriented to just get things done but overall they are all ambitious they all want to um, progress and see let's say transformation and growth and mm -hmm. we want to grow and we will so that's that's a, a fit and that needs to be there and also the fundamentals of collaboration that we inform each other that we support each other even if it's not needed and we also have a bit of an incentivation on delivery so if you deliver certain results at a certain quality measured by a customer NPS or delivery numbers, depending on the model we have, they also get a bonus. But the bonus is not conflicting with people not collaborating with each mm. other, which yeah, is very, very important. cool. And I was really afraid of doing that, but it was outstanding how well the people collaborate still um, and supporting each other and say, hey, I want that the other person gets the bonus and let's support and do another power hour session yeah. um, and let's get this um, position filled. That's so that, cool. That's cool. But um, just on how we build it, I think that it starts with the fundamentals, fundamental beliefs of the founders. They need to be aligned mm -hmm. and they need to be very well defined. For us, it's we um, commit to what we, we deliver what we commit to. Um, result orientation and that we are also um, we called it people passion but more we like to collaborate yeah? mm -hmm. and um, 
this is actually integrated in everything what we live and fits our positioning because our positioning is more we believe that growing organizations is more a science than an art and therefore we also need to design everything what we do in a certain way that we are business savvy that we have expertise in company stages regions and job functions or families mm -hmm. and also a scientific approach that we work um, in certain methodologies um, strategic but also pragmatically deliver um, and I think all of this is so well defined and is communicated in the hiring process um, when working together. In We started doing all hands when we had one employee. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> um, and always shared revenue numbers and profit numbers in every quarter. Yeah. And just say, hey, we need to hit this revenue target. How can we get it done? Yeah. And then people were so engaged suddenly. Three, four recruiters sat in a room and discussed on, okay, we need to do that and that deal. And there we need to prioritize this. And I was like, wow, I would not <laughs> even notice it, but I like the engagement and I hope we can keep it up. And this is what I will do, um, what I will focus on. Um, but I'm not leading the team, manage is managing the whole team. I'm more the looking to the outside revenue yeah. and um, marketing guy. <laughs> and I'm really happy because... That's that's also what, what I enjoy more. I'm that's more cool. the individual contributor. I can manage, but then it's for me more a job and not mm. by nature. Yeah. I'm rather free. <laughs> but that's cool. You know, like with the, you describing here about like how you're building this remote culture, actually a lot of, I would say, culture freaks, you know, who love building culture would say, okay, that's actually the exact same mechanics than building culture on site. But probably there is a piece of rethinking it and being very purposeful and how you want to articulate all these cultural like fundaments that you started to talk about like your values how you're going to hire people and i would say probably going a bit deeper even mm. in how you would facilitate them working collaborating together and delivering the results because very likely they don't have the tools and the habits of working a completely remote you know working mode so if you can go as deep as providing them there as well, some guidance, I think it's just like a next level of cultural design. Uh, but if actually you love doing that in an on-site world, then I think whether it's hybrid or extending even to remote to an extent is quite passionate endeavor. Um, so yeah, like I sometimes don't fully understand people who tell me, but how can you build culture mm. in a remote setting? It, like, it's a lot about commitment. Actually, yeah, completely. I mean, intentionality is the word exactly. that keeps popping. Um, exactly in these spheres but i think it's very much there and it's it's not it like it's not a one-time done it's exactly. like it's continuous work and and again it's about your champions and your leaders and your role models and all this good stuff about you know the the increments of culture and how you you activate that but it's the same mechanics it just finding a different angles which i find cool because it's refreshing it's uh you know it, it kind of re-challenges you to imagine working cultures and workplaces a bit differently with things that you know and new stuff to learn it's quite it's quite cool and um who is somebody you know i don't know who i should interview <laughs> next i knew it went, i knew this question was coming <laughs> I've, I've been listening to, to too many of your podcasts <laughs> um i think if I, if I think really about you know we were talking about mark frain and someone who you know inspired like my practice as a people professional i think there is another person that i've i've interacted with him back in the days i was still a junior i think um he's actually i think the chief talent officer of siemens uh robert norhausen and i just like he launched this huge leadership transformation program throughout siemens um in something that i found you know i don't, I don't know i always imagine siemens being like this quite corporate traditional company and i think their take on um culture and leadership in particular is just so modern uh, and i was like okay this is truly an inspirational so for anyone who wants to first start to follow him on linkedin i think he's he doesn't post a lot of content but when he does it's super high quality um and he's i mean very high obviously you know in the hierarchy but um of the of the organization but he's got some really strategic and inspiring views of how to do HR differently, I find. So, I yeah. Do you know him? No. 
I, as I said, I interacted with him. We were connected and he may not remember me because I'm sure he's got a network of, I don't know how many, but um, I can reach out. Yes, mm -hmm. I will also try. So maybe we can get him on the show. Yeah, with I would love to. Out, I would love to. Shout out from Marie <laughs> <laughs> to Robert, right? Exactly. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Any final words? Well, thank you for having me. It's uh, It was very fun, very cool, an honor. Um, and I somehow hope that anything that I've been saying resonate with anyone. Um, um, yeah, like reach out really like anyone who's been listening and who wants to chat more about this topic. What is really cool is that in my new role, it's actually my job <laughs> to connect with people and have this meaningful conversations and do something with it. Uh, like really develop a mini community product out of just an insightful conversation. And it's, I just love it. So yeah, like connect with me in any ways. Love it. Thank you for being my guest. <laughs> sure. Welcome.